0: So take your Bibles and turn to Psalms chapter 5 and verse 11. Psalm chapter 5 and verse 11. As we look at keys to revival, February 2nd begins a revival meeting, and I think it's always wise to prepare for that. And and uh, so we want to give just some things here from the Word of God in one verse here in Psalms chapter 5 verse 11 that may just be a help and show you your part in In this because revival begins in the heart and begins to reach out to others, and that's the way it ought to be. Psalm chapter 5, verse 11, it says, but let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee, to be joyful in thee. You know, when you are attacked by spirits of depression, anger, wrath, often you'll find that those attacks will come through people. Sometimes they are God's people that don't know that they're being used of the devil to accomplish this. And for us, the dynamic of our focus in life must always be on Jesus Christ, not the circumstances in which we find ourselves. In Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10, we read this, Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat and eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. What is so interesting about that particular passage is that they were standing somewhere between four to six hours hearing the law read. Now you're talking about Exodus, but mainly Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. For four to six hours they stood there and heard that read and explained as they were going through, giving the the emphasis and so forth throughout, And that's what they stood there and listened to for somewhere like four to six hours. And when it's over, they fear more that God's judgment is coming upon them again after they've just come back from 70 years of captivity in Babylon. But she's in Jerusalem now. She's gathered together, but she's only a shell of what she used to be. But God accepts repentant people. They'll still find that their strength is in the joy of the Lord. God's joy is given with strength. As we are obedient. To his word. In Samuel's childhood day. We're told I shared this our Sunday school class this morning. They had no open vision. You know what that simply meant? That there was no new revelation. We don't have new revelation today. So we're in the same spot. But what they did have was this. They had that law that he had just read. They had what was in Genesis. They had all of that. And there was enough there of God's word to sustain them if they obey it. And to give victory. We have all of God's word. We have it all. And he's given us the Holy Ghost to teach it to us. And so we have that force and we can go on and be victorious. Makes me think of Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus said if the works had been done there that was done in Capernaum, they would still be there to this day. You see, Sodom had no Bible, but we do. And just some of the things Brother Randy pointed out tonight in our uh, You Ought to Know portion tells us that the Bible, setting in homes, not obeyed and not proclaimed, is actually an insult to the God who breathed out every word. And so that causes us pause to think about that. And all of that is introduction, so let's have a word of prayer and we'll get into the message, okay? Father, I pray that as we looked at this, Lord, there are keys to revival that are in just this one verse, and yet we find that maybe we're not willing to pay the price for revival. And Lord, America is in trouble. And just some of the things that were mentioned tonight could mean that children, grandchildren will live in America that is suddenly throwing Christians in jail, sending them to prison for proclaiming the truth and standing against sin. So, Lord, help us to realize that this is an hour in which you're calling men and women to come back to the book, to live it, and to proclaim it. In Jesus Christ's name we pray it. Amen. I was listening to a pastor years ago, and this wasn't a preaching sermon, but it was just him talking. And he said, you know, we don't have revival meetings. I was asking who he had in revival. He so, said, well, we don't really have revival meetings because uh, we're teaching the word of God so our people know what is right. They don't need, if they just heed the word of God, they don't need revival meetings. They don't need these other things that go along because we're giving it to them. The teaching is right, and they're getting what they needed to hear. But I got thinking about that. I said, you know, in Bible days... They had different ones there. And they met daily for church. Some would meet before they'd go out to work that day. Some would be after they came back from the fields of that day. But it was going on daily. Different ones would preach. Different ones of these apostles and these other men would preach. I think of Paul. He preached till midnight. I'm too easy on you folks, okay? He preached till midnight. But then there's a story of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias evidently got up and goes on into church before anything is going on, before the, the others are arriving. Maybe the ladies are at home preparing whatever's going on. He goes there and and uh, Peter says, did you give all of what you sold there as you said you did? Oh, yeah, I did that. And and then the Lord strikes him dead because he's lied unto the Holy Ghost. He lied about what he gave. Well, on that day she had her cell phone off and so she could not know that her husband was dead, but she's part of this thing. Three hours later, she comes to church. Now understand, church is going all day long. Three hours later, she comes to church and she also is struck dead for lying into the Holy Ghost. And as a result, that church has a greater fear of the Lord than they've ever had, realizing we better obey the Lord our God. So every day they'd preach through the word, they, and as they would do that, one thing we know about the church in Jerusalem, it exploded in growth. And yet it wasn't one of convenience It wasn't one, well, let's just meet on Sunday morning. Let's just meet on, well, let's let's be real spiritual and have Sunday morning and Sunday night. Or maybe even a Wednesday night. No, it met daily. It met daily. And so it was a church not of convenience, but rather of commitment. They were in an area where the persecution was great. We get to Acts 8, we find that they were spread because of the persecution which was a good thing because they took the gospel to the other areas they were supposed to be doing so anyhow at that time. We meet for Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday. And then we have revival meetings. We have conferences. But what those things should do is strengthen decisions that we've made for the Lord. It should strengthen us to go out and do more. Revival meetings is just kind of like a re-emphasis on getting out, doing the work. So often we can become so, uh, I guess just so routine that the heart is not in it. And so revival meeting helps us to get the heart back into the work. And helps us strengthen those decisions. Now, you've heard me say before about the altar. We say, you know, come to the altar. Come to the altar. And I guess we've said that so much it's just a natural thing to say. But uh, there was a time years ago that they didn't call it the altar. It's not even like an altar in the Bible. They called it the mourner's bench. People come, they pray broken for lost children and perhaps lost spouses. Perhaps they would... their hearts were breaking for neighbors that were without Christ or perhaps for people they worked with and and it just seemed like they were hardened to the gospel and they'd be come forward and they'd be praying each time the invitation was uh, given they would come to the altar or should we say to the mourner's bench. And for some reason, God blessed America. But sometimes the days grow hard and Satan brings people to challenge us. And they'll bring people that are quite deceptive and Satan gives them doctrine that makes our doctrine and just kind of adds a little thing here, takes a little bit from there, and it deceives us. Well, we don't really have to be that faithful. We really don't have to be separate that much from the world. We don't have to do this. We don't have to do that. And before too long, we have abandoned those vows that we made to God. And perhaps that's why God makes vows our salvation. He says that our salvation is not likened unto marriage, but marriage is likened unto our salvation. We expect one another to keep our vows to each other. And so much more, God would expect us to keep our vows to Him because He will never break a promise to us. Can you imagine, just as an example, the Super Bowl is going to be coming up here in a couple of weeks and and some people are going to already lose the battle. They're going to be at home watching the Super Bowl. But can you imagine teams preparing for the game? Here's the players that say, look, coach, We've been playing since really back in late July, early August. We were, went to practice. We put things together, and we've played games all uh, the time since then. Here it is now, almost February. We don't have to practice. We already know the plays. We know what we're supposed to do. We don't need practice. What's the big deal about it? Coach, you're just being legalistic. I mean, why do this? You're just being le- legalistic. That's it. And you say, well, that'd be totally stupid. But do you realize that's not as stupid, not even come close to being as stupid as one that says, we don't need to be faithful to church. We're good Christians. We don't need revival meetings. We're good Christians. I think Proverbs chapter 27, verses 27, or chapter 17, verses 27, 28 say it best. He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Even a fool, now think about that, even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. A lot of times our lips speak, saying, thinking we're saying something that's provocative. We're, we're saying something that is good. We're saying something that no one else has said. And many times no one else has said it because it wasn't in the word of God. So as we do that, we go to our text. And the first important key to revival, revival that is an ongoing thing in your life, till Jesus comes or we're taken home to be, uh, be with him, is do not ever become tired of doing the right thing. Now look there in our text, Psalms 5 and verse 11. See the first part there. He says, let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. What does it mean to put your trust in thee? This is taking God at his very word. It's telling you how to live for him. For an example, Hebrews 10, 25, uh, where we're told not forsaking. (laughs) You know that word, that I and John, it has the idea of this. It's not forsake. Forsake means to leave altogether. But forsaking has the idea of here, not there. There, not there. You know, it's, it's spasmodic. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of so, some is. But so much the more as you see the day approaching. <laughs> the Lord says if you really believe that Jesus is coming, one of the evidences of, of that is that you'll be in God's house. You can say I believe he's coming soon, but you're not faithful to God's house. God says you're a liar because you would be in my house if that was true. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 15, studied to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's hard to get people just to read the Bible, let alone to study it. You know, it's interesting to me a few years ago, it's been several years ago, but and this this happened here, but it's happened in churches all across that preach the word. I mean, uh, you think of a Jack House, you think of a Lee Robertson, you think of others where people would be there, sit through the music and say amen and everything. But as soon as the preaching start, they'd stand up and leave. You see, what are they doing? Well, they were trying to say, now we are really showing them something. And they were. They were showing that the word of God being preached as it is to men as they are is not important to them. That they really didn't give a care for God's word. You know, that is a filthy testimony before God. And yet, many times they think, I'm being a good Christian. When in truth, it's the opposite of what the Lord is telling them to do. If you will, turn to First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 15 through 22. I want us to look at that for the next little bit as we're here in there. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 15 through 22. Now, all these verses, just to kind of bring you up to date on those verses, every one of those verses are called present imperative commands in the Greek. Boy, doesn't that sound intelligent? I like saying that because it makes me sound intelligent. I'm not intelligent, but it makes me sound intelligent. Okay. But it mean, what it means is this. This is a command given by God in which you'll be called an account, and it's an ongoing thing. If it's negative, it means stop doing this and don't let it happen again. If it's positive, it means do this and you keep on doing it until Christ comes. Now, that's what verses 15 through 22 is telling us. So as we know that and we look at that, let's just see what it has to say. In verse 15, see that no one render evil for evil unto any man. In other words, don't get even, don't make a personal attack, just don't let that happen. He says, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. What would we mean by that? I think Jesus gives us the best example in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, where he tells them, uh there that uh about their enemies he said love your enemies bless them that curse you do good to them that hate you pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you why because great is your reward in heaven in Matthew chapter five verse eleven that was Matthew five forty four five eleven He says, blessed are you when men say all matter of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Great is your reward in heaven. You know, when I think of that, I always go back to creation. Each day of creation, and God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. (laughs) I mean, you look at the heaven and the earth. What a beauty. I mean, what a wonder. The heaven and the earth. He set the course of the stars. And, and and he he set the bounds of the oceans and the rivers. He has the winds in his fist. That's our God. He created all that. And he called it good. So it gets my attention when he says great. <laughs> we always say great is better than good, isn't it? Great is your reward in heaven. It's even greater than good. Wow. So why not do what he says? Do what he says. Verse 16 says, rejoice evermore. You realize that verse is actually the shortest verse in the Bible. People say, well, I thought Jesus wept. In English, Jesus wept is the shortest. But actually in the Greek, rejoice evermore is the shortest verse in the Bible. It's all right because... Men made verse divisions, not not to God. We just did that to help us understand it. But he says, rejoice evermore. Again, that is a present imperative command. It is a rebuke to the sour-faced, pouting, gossiping, griping Christian. God wants rejoicing Christians. Well, pastor, if you were under the circumstances I'm under, you would be griping and complaining. Well, get out from under them then. God is greater than our circumstances. So why are you trying to carry something God wants to carry for you? And if it's God's will for you to carry certain things in your life, then ask God for the shoulders to bear it. And the strength to carry on in it and rejoice in the Lord. God wants rejoicing Christians. And isn't it interesting here? that the same Greek root word is also used for grace. Much of our weariness and anxieties that we have in life is motivated by focusing on ourselves instead of on the Lord. And it's hard to not focus on those things that come up that just really uh, throw us for loss, so to speak. And we focus on ourselves rather than God, and that robs us of rejoicing in the grace that God wants us to enjoy. The next verse says, "Pray without ceasing." Now, people say, "You mean I'm just twenty-four-seven praying?" No, you have a heart that's meditating on the things of God, and and you pray about those things as they come up uh, silently. Now, look, uh, a lot of times I'm driving down the road, I'm praying. It may look like I have my eyes closed, but I really don't, okay? Uh, But I can pray while I'm driving down the road. I better be looking to see what's out there. Sometimes people will say something to me, and I'll say, Lord, help them. In my mind, I'm saying, Lord, help them in that. And yet, I can't really uh, just take time to say, let's get down on our knees here, brother, and let's pray about that when I'm going on to the next meeting. But we can pray about it. And so again... Pray without ceasing, as is other things, it shows uh, whether or not you're, as in the text, trusting in the Lord. When it's all about self, you cannot rejoice in the things of the Lord. As a matter of fact, church becomes a drudgery. Oh, it's time to go to church. Man, I wish we didn't have to go tonight. And that's what that is born from. Take all to God in prayer, seeking His will, not your convenience. Look at verse 18. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You realize what he's saying there? This is the will of God. Trusting God in everything is the will of God. That is how you do the will of God. God's will, God's way, and God's timing. God has a head of the whole. And he describes what that responsibility is in the word of God. God has a pastor of a local church. That pastor is the same to the local church as a husband is to the whole. Uh, the Bible talks about being in subjection to your employers. Not with eye service as men pleasers. And that employer in that setting also has responsibility. Just like the, the, the husband, like the pastor. And that employer. And I'm just saying is that the Lord gives us responsibility within that setting as well. The wife has responsibility. The church member has a responsibility. The employee has a responsibility. And you see. When we're told about these things, rebellion in any of these areas, whether we're men or women, shows that we're not trusting the Lord. And if we're not trusting the Lord, how can our witness be effective? How can a witness be effective? So one of the keys to revival is to begin trusting him. Because usually the greatest hindrance to revival is ourselves. Verse 19. Quench not the spirit. Well, our, the spirit that indwells us is a Holy Spirit. Now think of that. He is a Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit. Holiness is when our lives are framed and molded Into the character of God. That's what we mean by godly. Holiness is when God-likeness is traced on our souls. It is conformity to the image of Christ, which every saved person is predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And when we're not, we're fighting against the work of the Holy Ghost. And therefore, we're quenching the spirit. And therefore, we are not trusting God. It shows that we're in need of revival. Verse 20 says, despise not prophesying. Basically, that's talking about preaching. That's talking about your Sunday school teacher teaching uh, in your classroom. That's talking about the preacher preaching from the pulpit, the evangelist preaching from the pulpit. He says, despise not prophesying. If it's with the word of God, then don't despise it. Again, this is an ongoing imperative command telling us that we will be called into an account. So don't despise it. If the preacher hits your sin, praise God. God is giving you a reminder to deal with it. If the preacher tells you what you need to be doing according to God's word, then deal with it because God is giving you an opportunity. And if those things offend, then we simply aren't trusting God when the preacher or the teacher is telling you the right things. Prove all things, verse 21 says, and hold fast that which is good. How do we prove all things? The idea of prove there is to test. You test it by close examinations. I believe that the Bible gives us one of the best illustrations of that in Acts 17, That Berea were more noble than they, those at Thessalonica in that they searched the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. Uh, Who was preaching? (laughs) Paul, the apostle. And he says, these people are more more, uh, noble than those at Thessalonica because they're searching what I'm saying here. They're searching the scriptures. Look folks, I'm going to get up here and preach the word to you. But search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. I am not by any means the final authority. The word of God is the authority in all things. The Bible is built on the word of God. Amen. Look. I was talking with uh, Pastor Sal Marone of our Spanish church recently. And he was telling me that uh, back there, he was a Southern Baptist one time. And, and they had brought him along. And they brought in a man by the name of Rick Warren who was just starting with the Southern Baptists to uh, introduce his program. And he told them, you've got to decide whether you want 60% gospel and 40% entertainment or 40% gospel and 60% entertainment. And that was the key that made him leave. Because he said, everything about the local church is to be built on the Word of God, the Bible. And he got out. I don't have 40 days of purpose. I'm supposed to have a life of purpose. And that is to do the will of God. So again. We're living for God doing his will, his way. Trust by obeying his word. Hold fast that which is good. Good will always line up with the word of God perfectly. Perfectly. If it's good, hold fast to it, because you know it lines up with the word of God. Verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. It's interesting, that verse, just a quick breakdown. Abstain, show no association with it whatever. Okay, stop doing this and don't ever allow it to happen again. Imperative. Abstain from, the word is separate from it so, uh, it, so in no way you're associated with it. All. Any way at all is what that means. So he says, abstain from all appearance. That is the external form. Don't show any emulation of the world or of evil in your personal life, in your worship, or in your way of living. Never show any emulation of it at all in how you serve the Lord. No likeness whatever Stay from all appearance of, the word of, that which pertains to evil. The moral and spiritual sense especially is emphasized here. You say, what do you mean? Well, he says appearance of evil. Evil in a moral sense, evil in a spiritual sense. The social drinking, the cuss words, the immodesty, the bar, moving in and living together without marriage, all of that comes under that. Look, when it's your own children doing it, it doesn't change it. Except to drive you to more prayer. But never try to justify it. Because when we do, we're going to be a part of the reason for the fall of this country, let alone... The thought, the fall of your children spiritually. So a key to revival is never to become tired of doing the right thing. Now going back to our text in Psalms 511, let them shout for joy because thou defendest them. That's the second part of verse 11. So second key is to realize the right path is never easy. But our trust, again, our trust, trusting is the key, trusting God. Okay? But our trust is such that we can rejoice that if we live life for Jesus Christ, the purpose of being faithful and obedient will be effective and will build great reward. We're faithful and obedient to the one that loved us. Which we said this morning, in man's eyes, he was a worm, hung naked on the cross. Can we not be obedient? And be associated with that name in a holy way. Not another Jesus that the world has created. When our trust is rightly placed because we know that without doubt. That he will defend us all the way. That is a key to personal revival in our life. When we fully yield our spirit. Over to him. We are to walk in the Spirit in serving God, not in the flesh. And there is a big difference. If you fully surrender yourself to Him, you'll walk in the Spirit, not griping, not complaining, because you have peace in the midst of all the trials and storms. While you turn to God's grace for strength when others who name the name of Christ are turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, trying to apply grace to the flesh instead of the spirit, being free from the power of the flesh. A majority wants to apply grace to the flesh. The hope of revival in America is to those that will allow grace to be applied to the spirit. Been freed from the power of the flesh. Then there's a third thing that is seen in the rest of this verse. Let them also, which love thy name, be joyful in thee. That's why it's read to you, uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And because that is God's word and it's true, so let those that uh, love thy name be joyful in thee, because it's strength for you. Rejoicing is going on in heaven, we're told, in the midst of the angels. Let's say the angels are, it says in, in the presence of the angels. Those are believers. There's rejoicing in heaven when one soul repenteth. Do we? Oh man, they came forward. I'm going to be late in the lunch line. And our flesh is more looking at ourselves instead of rejoicing that a soul has been saved. Goals are important. The pianist. She has that hard piece that she wants to perfect so that when it's played, it's played well. The artist may paint many, many paintings until he finally gets the one that best reflects what he was trying to say. The athlete may win an MVP and yet say to himself, I could do better. And he continues to strive to reach that height. And on we could go about those kind of things that, that go on for the Christian It is simply this. Our lives are consumed with pleasing and obeying the Lord Jesus Christ through his word. Study the Bible and use it to not only help yourself, but others. Have a record of someone who doesn't quit. When you're being opposed. Someone who continually remembers his vows to God. And is determined to never find their joy in the things of this world. But rather to find their joy in the things of the Lord. Have we forgotten our vows? Then turn to the Lord in rededication. Righteousness, when it's really true within us, we'll find that a, we may fall, but a righteous man will get back up again. Men that righteousness, although they may be saved, has not ruled in their life the righteousness of Christ. They fall, and they give up, they quit. Well, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said about me. What they did and what they said was not God. Stand up for Jesus. With America and the local church in trouble, we need revival. And the only vehicles God uses are holy vehicles, and they find their joy in the holiness of God. Separate from this world. And you're in a place to be a key that God uses to start revival. So again, the question comes is, do you really want to be, do you really want revival? And do you want to be a revival key? The reason we don't have revival is that the darkness grows in this world. And when we turn on a light, it's just like waking up in the morning and somebody turns that overhead light on there and it makes you turn a flip and put your head under the covers. Because I man, that light hurts my eyes. But sometimes when the light comes on in our life from God, it's a bright shining light that reveals ourselves and we don't want to see what we look like. But if we'll see it and respond, then God can do something about it with us, through us, and for us. Look, Christians, Christians have to be a light. Separated from the world, separated unto God, Christians have to be a light. If your home, your church, your city, your county, your state, your country is going to be saved if it's going to have revival. Perhaps just through the things that you've heard tonight that Brother Randy shared with us. The darkness never quit. ERA, yeah, I remember back Jimmy Carter was pushing that. Here it is years later and it has not quit. Let's not allow the devil and his doctrine to be more faithful than we are to the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads, please.